Hello. It's me, Micah McCaw. It's me, Jordan. And you know us from such uh, episodes as Before Sunrise, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Um, Marvel. The, uh, yes, um, Shrek 2. Yeah, that's maybe, Three, four. Ma- maybe those are a couple of places you've seen us. Um, and today, we are tackling Before Sunset. And, and on this podcast, we have a motto, a slogan, a dare I say tagline and it goes a little something like this we exist to prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals and guess what that that we're proving that today we're proving it today because I had to think quickly about both (laughs) movies there's a beautiful thing I don't know before sunrise is this beautiful movie that captures the feeling of connecting with another person person and infatuation and romance and love and it's lightning in a bottle and the last thing in the world you would expect is for that movie to get a sequel besides the ambiguous ending but you and you would expect hey if they're going to make a sequel surely it's going to be bad right well what what more do they have to talk about oh honey they top themselves yeah now, they're kind of hard to compare because, yeah. oddly enough, they're such different movies. Yeah. But you know, you know, you've been here before. You're not just dropping in on Before Sunset. You know what's up on this podcast, and you know what we're going to do. So, Jordan, when was the first time you saw this movie? Yesterday. Really? As of this recording. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you have any knee-jerk reactions? This movie is, as John Bon, Vo- John bon Jovi put it, a shot through the heart. <laughs> That's how it felt. We got a John Bon Jovi quote. Yeah. Very interesting. I think this could be a crazy episode if that's <laughs> how we're starting things off. It, uh, this movie made me feel things a movie never has made me feel about a movie. Could you expound upon that? It's but it's probably easier as we go through it. Got it. Okay. Um, the first time, so I watched. I watched all three of these movies. I've seen them all one time, and this this watching through is my second time. And um, I think I watch them all within like a month or so. And um, I liked the second one more than the first one, and I I still stand behind that. Okay. Um, but they're so good. They're so so mm-hmm. so good. And it, again, I don't think. I wouldn't imagine, but I don't know, because sometimes I, I listen to movie podcasts and I just go, oh, they're covering this director or this series or something. I don't care about that thing, but I'll listen to the episode because I like the mm-hmm. people who host it or I want to learn more about it. I'm telling you, folks, if you haven't watched these movies, you got to watch these mm-hmm. movies. They're so, so, so good. Mm-hmm. And they are just such a unique human experience. Give it a chance. If you think, you know, you hear that it's a movie about two people talking the whole time. It, it's on on the, just to pass glance, it sounds boring, but it's not boring. Or or maybe, you know, you, you came here, you listened to Dark Knight, and you were like, I like, I like superheroes. You listened to our Marvel. And by all means, we love all those things. But you hear romance, two people talking in a room, maybe... Just maybe you think that's not for me, which is a pretty fair assessment. That's okay to think that, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. 
but give it a chance because my goodness, I'd be, I would just be shocked to meet a person who watched this movie and thought, eh, or didn't like it. I know this movie made me thankful for being in a healthy marriage and relationship. <laughs> and, and I really mean that because it's, it's pretty uh, depressing some of it, but that is very beautiful too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the realities are depressing and beautiful and it, it made me thankful to, to have someone that's a very stable, healthy relationship. And I also feel fortunate. I I've never, I've never been someone that dates people a lot. Uh-huh. So I'm, I feel fortunate that I've never dated that many people. Yeah. Well, so, I'm, I'm thankful it. for you as well, Jordan. Thanks. Um, let's talk about how this movie was made. Huh? So it's directed by Richard Linklater. Now, after Before Sunrise, he made a movie called Suburbia. He made a movie called The Newton Boys. He made Suburbia? Wait, what am I thinking of? You're not thinking of... Suburbicon. Or um, Disturbia. Disturbia. (laughs) Or any of the BS. Um, And then he makes The Newton Boys, which is pretty much a flop. Okay. Um, Then he makes a movie called Waking Life. Now, Waking Life has very odd animation. Oh, I never heard of that movie. um, it's it's sort of like an updated um, rotoscoping type of thing. Rotoscoping being drawing over pictures. Okay, like that uh, one music video. Yes. Waking life. Waking life. Yeah, and um, in that movie, there is a s- oh, scene. I've seen some of this movie in a philosophy class I took because oh, it's okay. a lot of talking and it's a lot about philo- philosophy. And I remember we watched the Ethan Hawke part where he's in bed. With Julie Delpy. Really? There, wow, he, I didn't know that. He has directed two movies that look like this. So there's a possibility that you were watching I a Scanner Darkly. That's probably the one because, yeah, that, that might have been the one. But is that a Richard Linklater movie? Yep. Oh, that's crazy. Never thought ever that this would pop back up in my life. Yeah. So, so folks, I took a pretty deep dive on Linklater. I did not have time to watch all these movies. I kind of wanted to, but we have we have to like bank up some episodes. So we were like, let's knock this series out. But I did watch a ninety minute documentary about Richard Linklater, and the guy is a true auteur. I'm telling you that this man makes these indie movies. He pretty much founds like the Austin scene. This is the one I saw waking life. It was okay. Yeah. Cause it's talking about the meaning of the universe. Okay. Anyway. And he, he is just someone who is not afraid to take risks and he does not want to do something unless he believes in it. So like this waking life movie, if you look at it, I think, I think the animation is really cool looking, but it's, it could be off putting. I think it's a distracting like it distracts from the story, but but the, the waking life is about a man having a dream, so it makes sense to have a a it feels real like the the uncanny valley thing going on. Um, yeah, I I would like to watch it. I I feel like I would really enjoy it. And and from what he talked about with the movie, it seemed like that makes sense to present it in that format. Yeah, it does. Um, not my favorite, but sure, sure. And there aren't that many movies like that. So no, very few. Um, but this guy just takes these risks and as we've talked about already a little bit, he, he very much is interested in time and like human experiences. So when you look at a movie like Boyhood, a movie he shot over 12 years, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like 
what, like uh, two or three weeks every year they would shoot mm-hmm. or six weeks, something like that. Yeah. And it's just like, let's document a boy growing up from the first grade to the 12th grade. Yeah. And that's that's such a human, relatable thing. If you watch the movie, it's not like the movie is plot heavy. Most, a lot, well, not most, but a lot of his movies that I have seen are not are very lacking in plot. Sure, yeah, um, definitely. But it, it's but great it because matter. you know you watch Days and Confused, and I did not have that high school experience, but I felt nostalgic for it. Like I had a nostalgic feeling for being in high school in the seventies. Yeah, for something I never even experienced. Like, in well, how does boyhood feel for you? Because that is extremely nostalgic. Yeah, because that's and relatable. The time when you were that young, around that time, it kind yes. of chronicles because it's the early two thousands. I kind of, I kind of relate to it, but I'm not a boy, so I don't totally relate to everything in that movie. No, that movie is like hammer Still on the head for, for girlhood. Me. There is a movie called Girlhood. I oh, think wait, it's, really? I think it's French. It's not the same exact thing, but it's also um, very highly rated. Really? So, <laughs> is that a like slice of life? I don't know. Okay. I just remember it came out like the next year or something. Oh, seriously? It was, it was weird. Um, but anyway, anyway. Um, so he makes the Newton Boys. He makes Waking Life. In Waking Life, there is a scene with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy mm-hmm. in a bed mm-hmm. talking about being in like an old woman's dream, like her dying dream. Now, you may remember that because in Before Sunset, she talks about that. Yeah. So it was kind of this thing where it sounds like the three of them kind of got together. He's making this strange movie where from the images I saw, it didn't look like there's, oh, here's a linear plot. It's like random different characters coming in Mm -hmm. and out kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, let's get these two people back together. But that's what gets the ball rolling and gets them thinking. Oh, interesting. Like maybe there is something with these two characters. Now, like something more? Something more to explore. Because, you know, it was basically Jesse and Celine, even though they weren't specifically saying it in the movie. Um, now, having said that, in that movie, they were together, and in Before Sunset, they're, they're not, not together yeah. at the beginning of the movie. So it is not, quote-unquote, canon, if you want to say okay. that whole thing. We don't really care about that at the moment. But, okay, so he d- makes that movie. In that same year, he also comes out with a movie called Tape, um, which also has Ethan Hawke and also Uma Thurman. Ooh. And then in 2003, he makes School of Rock with Jack Black. Please and thank you. Now, I know we're. I know this is not just the Linklater podcast, but I think you will find this very interesting because Scott Rudin, the producer of that movie, contacts Linklater's agent and says, we have this studio comedy and I want Richard Linklater to direct it. And Linklater takes a look at it and he goes, Pass. I don't, you know, this is not my forte. This is not my thing. I'm not studio comedy guy. I kind of do my own thing. And the producer responds back and he says, I don't accept your pass. Oh, oh, oh. So he's like, what? And so then he starts talking to him and he's like, no, I, and that's kind of when Linklater goes, oh, this isn't, I'm not, this isn't like a for hire job. Like he wants me to direct this movie. And he had kids. It's like, he's not doing me a favor. I'm doing him a favor. Yeah. And he had kids, and he said that, like, if he didn't have kids who I believe were around the same age, he thinks he wouldn't have made a good movie. Oh, that's just like because he can understand that perspective a little bit better. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And um, I love that movie so much. It's great. Yeah. It's that was a my great first PG 13 movie. movie. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, that movie is 
like a low key masterpiece. Uh-huh. Easy. Uh-huh. And um it's probably many people's first Linklater movie. Oh yeah, probably. And it's funny because it it doesn't make sense for him to direct that movie, but at the same time, I feel like there's definitely a parallel between Dazed and Confused in that movie. Like the love of rock and roll and being like a slacker, another one of his movies, you know, but someone who still wants to affect change in their world. And I, I like that this is a little more, it's a little grungier. Like it's a little yeah. updated. Yeah. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Um, and then the following year, he makes Before Sunset. Okay. So now we're up to date on him. So I'm curious with that movie to get some people on the Linklater train with School of Rock and mm. more, a lot more people see Before Sunset. Well, I'll talk to you about the box yeah. office in just a moment, but you're not wrong. Um, the screenplay of this movie is by Linklater. Hawk gets a screenplay credit, and so does Delpy. Mm-hmm. So if you remember in the last movie, they did not get screenwriting yeah. credit, but they did do a lot of rewrites. This one, they're like really in the writer's room, even more so than the last one. Um, story by Linklater and then um, Kim Kryzan, who yeah. was story on the other one cinematography lee daniel and this was shocking to me and i didn't even realize it until i was looking on wikipedia gathering all my notes and stuff and i don't see a composer listed and then i went oh yeah there's no music there's a song at the beginning but it's a song yeah yeah there's a song and then julie delpy wrote and performed three songs for the soundtrack so I'm assuming really? I'm assuming wow. the song at the end she actually did write. Yeah. Um, I didn't check that for sure. But that's so unusual to see a movie that does not have a composer. And you don't even sometimes sometimes you don't need it. Sometimes this movie you don't. Yeah. So but the budget of this movie is two point seven million. It makes domestically five point seven nine, which is a lot more yeah. than the previous movie. Yeah. It's not a lot of money, but and worldwide it makes eleven point two. Cool. So, I mean, when you do a low-budget movie, that can be an, a success. Um, so, what what if Jason Bloom was inspired by Richard Linklater? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, he could have been. So, after Before Sunrise came out, people would talk to Julie, Ethan, and Richard, and they would be like, so did they get back together? Did they get back together? You mean Before Sunset came out? After Before Sunset came out? At- Yes, that's what okay. I meant to say. Um, people were asking them. And they would always say, mm. Well, I think I think listening to them talk, I think they were genuinely people who thought, I don't know. I really don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, We'd have to make another movie to find out. Yeah. And so, like, that coupled with them in the that scene in Waking Life, that gets them going. They start talking about it. And they originally had a... Th- like Linklater wanted to do a movie that had four locations and had a much larger budget. Sure. That's his first thought, but they couldn't get any funding for it. Oh man. That's crazy. Which thank goodness. Well, yeah, but that's still just, that's crazy. Um, but not that crazy. Yes. Yeah. And then Julie Delpy, her agent says, Hey, I have this audition for you. It's for rush hour three. You'll be like a main character in this movie. This is going to be huge for your career. And she goes, well, I'm working I'm going to start working and writing and shooting before sunset. And her agent says, that is a sequel to a movie that no one cares about and no one wants to see. And the agent fires her. Boom. And she, 
I mean, with the gift of hindsight, maybe she feels less raw, but hearing her talk about it now, she's just like, so I left and I made, Got another made this movie. Yeah. Like it didn't seem to face her. Um, you know, when an artist, I truly, love that. when an artist truly believes in something, it's hard to keep them down. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of ironic too, that the agent's like, that's a sequel. That's not going to make money. I have a sequel that you could be in. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. going to make a lot of money. Yeah. It's interesting. So she I'm, made the right call. She made the right call. Um, I wonder too, in a situation like that, like they, her and her agents start to fight a little bit about it. And immediately she's like, Oh, I need to get rid of this agent. Well, like the they agent don't have fired my, her. No, no, I know. I know. But I'm sure it just wasn't just one phone call. Like I'm sure it was a while of the agent trying to convince her to do it. Yeah. And I feel like the longer it goes, the more she's probably like, I think this isn't going to work out with the agent. And then the agent does that. And it's like, Oh, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, like maybe that was going to happen anyway. Right. At some point. It's yeah. It's kind of like, Oh, the nightmare scenario of her accepting rush hour three and us not getting this beautiful movie. Right. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, just a couple thoughts about the actual filming of the movie. Um, I never even thought about this, but the lighting was a huge problem because it's of the time of day. Well, and the movie is shot in real time. So it's an hour and 20 minute long movie and the characters experience one hour and 20 minutes of time. Yeah. So when you're shooting, you have to film around the same times to get all the same shots. Oh, so they only had like an hour, like a couple hours a day. Yeah. Just a couple of hours. And, um, the, it, they shot the whole movie in 15 days. That's impressive. Crazy. One of the longest shots in the movie is about 11 minutes long. Which one is it? I'm not sure, but, um, probably just one of the ones where they're walking. Yeah. And, and folks, if you didn't notice, cause maybe you were so enraptured that you didn't even notice, but mo it, it feels like this movie has like maybe a hundred shots in it. I don't know. It's yeah. so low. And there are just whole scenes where these just pro actors are just walking for 11 minutes talking about deep stuff. Yeah. And it does not, I mean, it just, it just, I, I, the older I get, the more like a flashy one is just not as exciting to me as this. Yeah. Um, well, that's what you've said. I mean, this is a little bit ago, but how Spielberg sneaks in a lot yes. of one shots in his movies. And that's, that's kind of a beautiful thing about him as a director is he just sneaks them in. You don't even notice yeah. that he, that he's been staying on the shot for like three or four minutes. What, one of the, and, wait, wait, sorry. I just remembered. Yeah. And, and what's so good about like, he is such like a efficient filmmaker he is eliminating so much time, so much shooting time yeah. by figuring out how to do it in a one shot. Yeah. Well, and great. as much as I love a great action shot, I, I do. I, I really do. Yeah. But sometimes, I well, I find myself these days, I get very distracted by them because I'm just waiting for the cut and I'm looking for it. And it's like, oh, someone passed in front of the camera, cut. And you're like, it's not even a real one shot. You know what I mean? Do you remember? Yeah, no, and, you're right. And you're right. I, again, I like those, although sometimes they are done pretty poorly. Um, but in something like this, it's like, well, this is not fakeable. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't put like a CGI layer over that other shot and meld these two shots together. Yeah. Then on top of that, I just want to point out one of the all time great one shots that should be in discussion when anyone's talking about one shots is, um, the shot in Jaws where they get onto a ferry 
and the camera tracks onto a ferry. Yeah. And the mayor and um, the Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, and Roy Schneider are or Scheider. I can't remember if it's Schneider or Scheider, but they're just talking, and the ferry crosses a river. Yeah. And it it is that thing where you just completely forget that it's one shot. Someone, it was pointed out to me in a video I was watching, and I was like, wait a second. It was a video about Spielberg's one shots. One shots in the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, though, I remember one of the really cool one shots when I started paying attention to stuff like that was in True Detective. Do you remember that one? That one was crazy. It was like a police raid scene. Yeah. And they're walking towards a fence, and the camera goes up, and you're like, oh, oh my (laughs) gosh, what kind of ride are they taking us on? That was a good one. Uh, well, I love a good action one shot. And what was cool about that show is that's like the fourth or fifth episode. Uh huh. And we hadn't. And it was already so engrossing. Yeah. And that was like the first time we were really experiencing like an action scene in the show. Mm-hmm. And so they really made it crazy. Yep. Um, but the one shots in this are just crazy because it's just two actors having to be the best at uh-huh. what they're doing. Yeah. So they. Um, they're lighting issues, fired agent, 15-day shoot. Okay, um, finally, two things. Um, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman were married, mm-hmm. and in 2003, they separated, and then they had a, they finalized their divorce in 2005. Not to bring up personal stuff, but And this Ethan, came out when? It came out in 2004. Okay. So right in the middle of all that. Okay. So it's very clear that like there are a lot of parallels to Ethan Hawke's character in the movie, and his personal life, and he's bringing a lot of that into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's interesting to note. I'm not trying to throw judgment or say, like, let's gossip about this. I'm just saying, I think that's a footnote that's worth talking yeah. about when t- discussing yeah. the movie. Yeah. And then this is very cool. In Before Sunrise, the street poet's soliloquy contains the line, quote, We have no idea where we're going. In Before Sunset, the Nina Simone song they're listening to says, I know where I'm going. Really? Yeah. Okay, you sly dog. Yeah. That's and cool. That's what I got on the movie. Okay, I got nothing. That's true because we have the same actors in this movie as the last movie and pretty much no difference. Yeah. So the movie begins. <gasps> you stole my line. And a song is playing. And we are seeing a lot of shots of as the Paris. song is playing of Paris. And it's the shots where they will be going in the movie. Yep. So if you remember from the last episode, before Sunrise ended with shots of where they have been. And this is showing where they are going. Did did Before Sunset, though, begin with shots of the city before? No, because it was the train. That was like pretty right away. Yeah. The train was immediate. Oh, that's an interesting poetic. Well, I think what's cool about that is, uh, for one, in the first movie, it's just beautiful to see where they've been. And like, I like what you said about it, where it's like this romantic place thing just took place in this alleyway. And now it's morning and it's like the city's regenerating for another romantic thing to happen yeah. in the alleyway. That's great. Uh, and then this movie, they have, we have no idea what happened. Yeah. But because like you soon find out nothing happened. Yeah. So you're seeing where they're going to pick up. Oh, yeah i that's really cool jordan i'm glad you caught that yeah yeah we, go ahead that's oh, oh you're done okay um so then we go and we meet jesse wallace who is at a book reading and, and he's yeah and signing and he's talking about this book that he wrote that's 
doing really well. It's like a New York Times bestseller, I believe, he says at some point. And he's on a book tour. And we gather that the book is about a fictional character having this one amazing night with this woman he meets on a train. Yep. And then they agree to meet each other in six months. And while he's there, um, there are like reporters there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're asking him questions. And one of them says, is this autobiographical? And he says, well. Since this is my last stop. Yeah, I'll tell I'll you. I'll tell you. It is. Yeah. And then they say, which I think in in a not, um, in, in a really interesting and fun way, they're kind of addressing the questions that those three actors have been asked for the last nine years. Yeah. Because then they say, well, did the, did you, did those characters show up? Yeah. And he's like, well, I think that would ruin the magic yeah. of what this story is. Yeah. Which is also interesting because this movie is going to ruin the magic of what that other movie is. If yes, you it thought will. about it. Um, so he's saying that and then he's, he talks about this story that, cause they say, do you want to, do you what have any you other novels? Yeah. And I was like, this sounds cool. This sounds like a Richard Linklater movie. <laughs> I know. It sounds like m- maybe one of his movies is this idea. If it's not, he's got to make this movie. But the well, idea. I, I'm curious if, and I don't think it's really this. This is the only thing I made me think of. I've not seen that many Richard Linklater movies. Yeah. So I'm only pulling from what I know. But he's talking about he is an adult man. He is married. He has children. He see, the the book takes place really over like four minutes. Yeah, he, he dives into it more. So he's saying his his daughter is like dancing on the chair, and he wants to tell her to get down because it's unsafe. But he just sees how beautiful his daughter is, so he just doesn't say anything. Just lets her be in the moment. Yeah. And then as he's watching that, he is like time trays like transported back to when he was sixteen. Yeah. With his high school sweetheart. She's dancing on the car and he has that same feeling of And the same song is playing. And the same song is playing, yeah. And he has the same feeling of like she should get down from the car, but she is so beautiful right now. I don't wanna ruin this moment. And he talks about how he's seeing it as if it's like like he's aware of his old self and young self simultaneously. Yeah. Of what he's processing. The only thing I can think of is dazed and confused. Because yeah. I believe Richard Linklater was in high school around the time of that movie took place based on his age, but I could be wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. And that, in that the, the time that they're replicating in the movie. 1978 or 79 I think or it's whatever. 76, I believe. Yeah, okay. I think, yeah. And that movie really, I mean, it's hard to make a high school movie as, and if, if you're not, if you're not like, okay, wait, what am I trying to say? It's hard to make a high school movie to that caliber if it's not set in the time when you were in high school for that movie. He yeah. Made. Cause you're not in touch with what's going on. No. So to make a movie of that caliber where it's really deep diving into the, the angst of teenage dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like he's really channeling and being transported back to that time while he was making that yeah. movie. That's the only thing I was thinking of when he cool. was talking about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it'd be like, you know, if you and I tried to make a high school movie now, what are we going to do? It's just a bunch of kids in the, in the back watching Twitch all the, d- the time. Tw- well, or not, not, not for not us. Not Twitch, uh, TikTok, I mean. Not even for us. No, I'm talking about if we made one about now. Oh, yeah. We'd have to make it from back then when we were still talking about MySpace and Facebook and this new company, Instagram. Ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take that tech companies we just slammed you so hard 
And um, so then he looks over and he, who does he see in the bookstore? Celine. He sees Celine. And he's. And his reaction is, in a word, priceless. Yes. He's got a MasterCard because this is priceless. Yeah. And um, he is like, okay, uh, you know, it's kind of like he wants to wrap things up after that. Um, yeah. And. Then his book person comes over to him and they they like his agent or whatever and says, "Okay, you have this flight. The driver's going to take you and stuff." And he goes, "Well, I, I just I want to walk around the city a little bit." Uh, he gets driver information and he goes up to her and he's like, "Celine, oh my gosh, hello!" So, so pretty immediately you're like, "Oh, they haven't seen each other for as of this moment a while." Yeah, because but you know it's not it's been nine years at that point, right? Yeah, and and there is that moment where you first see her, where it's like, oh, she could be this could be her husband or her boyfriend, and she's uh, there supporting him. You know, like when it just yeah. has the first shot yeah, of her, yeah. But it's pretty clear. But also the no. way she's looking at him, it's like she's like excited too, and in, in a way that like maybe a wife wouldn't be visibly like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sounds kind of weird, but... Um, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and it breaks my heart uh-huh. immediately, but then it's also like, okay, I guess here we go for the next hour and 20 minutes yeah. of what possibly they could talk about, and I'm already just on the verge of tears is what it feels like. Um, so what what I feel like well, I'm going to say something so else, what's, but... What's oh, cool I is, wanted to know. Okay. I wanted to know. Ethan Hawke looking great with the hair. And we talked about it, and I will get a little nitpicky with it because Ethan Hawke will always look good with that early 2000s haircut. I don't know what it is. Ethan, keep it. But also anything I've seen looks great. And then with Celine, I like it. It's a, I mean, they they both definitely look older. Uh-huh. Um, and she has her hair up, which in the last movie, her hair was always down. It was very long. You know, this is kind of like an early, like a young person thing kind of i think and it's up it's shorter she looks she looks like an adult now she looks mm-hmm. very different i think she looks more different than he does oh i don't know but i don't think it really matters yeah she ju- she just looks very much like uh, she's also like in her hometown you know like very comfortable and yeah independent in this city and uh one one thing i i, I think it's i don't know if he says it to celine or the interviewer but he says Happiness is in the doing, not in getting what you want. He says that to the interviewer. And that is so profound. Yeah. And like on a personal note, happiness is the doing. Now, if you're a listener, you probably know us and you know how Jordan and I are always doing artistic things. But if I can speak personally, I worked on this project, The First Family, these remixes of Adam, Eve, and Abel, which you can listen anywhere. And I did this release show and everything. And... It was so fun doing it, but the actual day where I release it, and I kept telling Jordan all day long, release days are the worst days ever. Yeah. Because all you're thinking about, and especially in today's society where you can look at all these things, is like how many people have streamed the song? How many people are going to be at the premiere? And as much as I like that, it's also like, this is crazy. And it was almost better the day before when I was like, oh, I can't wait for people to hear this and see this. Because then yeah. you're sitting there and you're like, these numbers aren't as big as I want them to be. And if I'm being totally honest with myself, I know that if the number was five times that amount, I'd be like, if only it was a little bit more. Yeah. And you always want more. Yeah. And so 
that just rings very true. The happiness is in the doing, not in getting what you want. Right. As an artist. And uh, that hit me hard when we were watching it yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, make sure and stream the, the album <laughs> and watch the premiere show. Um, so then they go outside and... It, it's so beautiful how they're like old friends. They mm-hmm. spent one night together. But they but don't they, even know each other. And yeah. plus it's been nine years. So they know each other even less than that night. Yeah. But it, it's, but the, the emotions are so raw. Yeah. And, and it just feels like how I would be if I saw someone from high school that I spent a lot of time with that I haven't been able to hang out with for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Not the same, but yeah. But no, I mean, it feels like that. They <laughs> no, have that camaraderie. I, I, no, 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 no. I know, I know. And then she says, okay, I just, I just, and she, what's, it's just, ah, uh, that's so good. Okay, I'll say this. Um, she says, did you show up? And yeah. he says, he, he kind of goes, uh, no. I, well, is, no, he well, says, he says, uh, well, did you? Well, and she I, said, yeah, okay. She says, no, I, I didn't show up because my grandma died. There was a funeral that day. I was unable to show up. I, I truly would have if I could And have. I love right around this time, they're like, how come we didn't exchange phone numbers or addresses? We were so stupid back then. And it's yeah. like, oh, you could have avoided so much grief in your life. And, and just like these these crazy love feelings of like yearning, you could have avoided so much of that heartache if you had just exchanged a dumb number. And what's funny is they're saying we were so young and reckless. I know. And in the previous yeah. movie, they kept saying, let's be adults about this and not exchange numbers. And not- I know. I know. So let's, yeah. Anyway, go so, ahead. And then he goes, he goes, no, no, I, I didn't. I didn't show up. Mm. And then they keep walking a little bit. And she goes, well, how come you didn't show up? I had an excuse. And then he kind of goes, ah, I, I did show up. And God, she, that just broke my heart again. It's awful. Yeah. I know. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, I, I really would have been there. I, and she's, she's being so, um, she feels so guilty. Mm-hmm. She feels like so shameful. And yeah. she's just like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he goes, no, it's fine. I just, I set up, I, I, I put up bulletins and I, I put he my did. number. Yeah. And I walked around for a while and then eventually I had to come home and, I owed my dad a couple thousand dollars. And she's like, oh my, oh my gosh. gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine that feeling. I can't even imagine. So, um, and then within this part of the conversation too, uh, he, you know, this book is about her and she knows it. Yeah. So yeah. they talk about that and she's like, it is kind of weird to read about yourself and it, obviously it made her very uncomfortable to to like it was very intimate and he put it all to book yeah it's fiction but it all really happened how he wrote yeah and she's like don't get me wrong it's really good it just i i don't know like it it really affected her and Mm -hmm. which we'll kind of get into more toward the end mamacita that's crazy and and so you know, he does ask her or, you know, he's like, I was kind of curious if you, if I would see you at any point, he had no way, no way to know how, because they never exchanged a dumb number. But, um, she, she found out that he was having a book signing at that bookstore, which is her favorite bookstore. Mm-hmm. So, um, she, she knew he would be there. Yeah. And, and we'll later find out that pretty much the reason he wrote the book is so that he could maybe see her again. Breaks my heart. It's so beautiful. Again? Um, so they go to a coffee shop. I mean, actually, they do talk about a lot before well, getting the coffee before shop. Before we get to the coffee yeah. shop, I have a couple things that I want to mention. Um, 
she says, did you ever write what happened six months later? And he says, I did. And I wrote this whole section where, um, where she shows up at the end of the book. It's like an epilogue. And I, th- I think they get together and then they don't like each other. I don't remember exactly what he I don't wrote. I really remember. But then the editor was like, no, this sucks. And made him throw it out. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like Little Women. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like the woman either needs to die or get married at the end. Mm-hmm. And then um, we find out she's been a part of Greenpeace and she's been very like politically active. Yeah, very conservation environmentalist, helping helping people in other countries who need help. Um, and she's really, you know, become uh, a very established person when like in the in the last movie, you know, she's trying to figure out what kind of person she is in the nine years she's figured it out. Um, and I do like, so in the last movie, I feel like I talked a lot about how I noticed that. Well, you did too, but I'll speak for myself. Um, and before sunrise, there was a lot of things where you could tell that Jesse was just a very insecure young man Yeah, because he doesn't have the world figured out, but he wants you to think that he has the world figured out, which is Mm -hmm. just such a human thing. And in this movie, I feel like Celine talks most of the, like more than him. Definitely. And it's her being insecure about where she is in her life. Yes. And she's compensating by just rambling. She's like, I must be just so crazy. Like, what am I even saying? Like, she says that stuff a lot. And it's so, like, that's really relatable for me. Totally. And and what I what I like is he is such the opposite type of person that he was in the other movie. Where he's much, like, when they're having... He listens the, a lot. He listens, like, when they're having the conversation... Um, about Greenpeace and the environment, he says, you know, but but I think people are, I think people do get it. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And she's going, the world is this and that and this and that, the environment, politics, this, that, and the other thing. And he goes, he goes, yeah, but but people are aware of those things. And I, I think that people want those things to change and are trying to get them to change. He, well, he said like a phrase like environmentalism, like no one was really even saying that word a couple of years ago. And like, yeah, you know, people are, people are starting to get it a little bit more. He, you know, he's kind of looking on the bright side of a, of something that's going to take. He was, he was such a pessimist in yes. sunrise. And in this movie, he's so much more of an optimist. I think part of that is because he is so happy to see her. It is like the stars have finally aligned because yeah. once you find out later how his life really is i think he still is that pessimistic person Mm -hmm. and it's hard for him not like but to be around her those feelings are brought up again of like everything's fine what yeah that's kind of how he is yeah so then they get to the apartment coffee shop i mean the coffee shop not the apartment that's skipping an hour of the movie and um this this is now this you've been you've been throwing around this heartbreak Thing a lot to find out that they were living in the same city at but, the same time but they find out that they oh. were both living in new york at the same time and there was even a point where he said i looked for you everywhere the and expression on his face when he found out that they were living yeah. in new york city at the same time was and like dude i want to give you a hug right now yeah and he said i was even like go i don't remember where he's going but i saw a woman in an umbrella no when he was going to his wedding no he says that later in the movie yeah. we'll save that there. yeah um but he was looking for her everywhere, and she lived in New York, and so like they were. It's it's that like it's it's such it's it's just wild when any writer or director or author can write coincidences well. Oh yeah, I know. Because coincidences, when you see them in movies, sometimes 
sometimes you, you you pull out a thread and you go, this whole plot of this movie is based on a coincidence. Well, no, I won't bring up that movie because we're going to cover it soon. But there's there's some, you know, especially in more plot-heavy movies, sometimes it's like, well, if that one character just didn't do that one thing, uh-huh. none of this happened. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But life does have coincidences all the time. Yeah. Remember that person that you went to SOU with? Yeah. And you kept seeing this person like uh, her, in Boston. In Boston. And you kept running into this person. And then I ran person. into her a couple times after that in Oregon again. <laughs> it's just like, that's weird. Yeah. That And so the the coincidence of them living in New York at the same time, it very much rings true to me. It's it's crazy. And I, I do think, I think they say it around this time. I think it's a little bit before. She at one point asks him how long it took him to write the book. Uh-huh. And he says around three or four years. And, you know, she's like, no, oh, that's kind of a long time. I mean, uh-huh. that's, it takes a long time to write books. But um, it's like he was thinking about her very intensely yeah, for years because he was get, writing this book. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Like, like that's just that just tells a lot, I think. Absolutely. For him to even tell her that, you mm-hmm. know? Anyway. So, yeah, in the coffee shop, they find that out. Um, she so she was in um, she was going to NYU, I think NYU for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and she liked she liked America a lot, but she also didn't like it a lot. She t- talked about a really like crazy experience with the police, where yeah. she felt very like talked down to, and I think it was like a little bit of a sexist situation she felt, you know. Um, and so sh- she almost like became a person she didn't want to be, so she left. Well, and and yeah, the the cop in the in the story she told, which apparently she said that happened to her in real wow, life. that's ju- crazy. To Julie. Um, that that it was like she called in an emergency and these cops came over and then they one of them told her, like, you see this gun here? Like, you need to get yourself a gun. Yeah, in this you, country, it, it's between you or them. Yeah, and she was like, I don't want to... I don't want can, a gun. Can you believe me with a gun? That's scarier than with a situation that could have happened to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so... Uh, yeah, so that was interesting. She leaves. She goes back to France. And she's and, been back ever since. Yeah. And Jesse seems like he can hardly contain his excitement this whole I, time. He is just, he cannot stop smiling looking at her. I don't think he would have cared if he didn't talk at all. He just wants to listen to her talk. He just wants to watch her. It's crazy. So at one point, too, in the coffee shop, she asks if she looks different. And he's like, yeah, you do. And he he has her pull her hair down, which she does not put her hair back up for the rest of the movie. Oh, I didn't she, notice. She knows like he likes it this way. And I think that like whether that's subconscious or not, like, oh. he likes it this way. And so, but he also also like, you're, you're thinner. But I, like as a, you grew up, lost baby weight thinner kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, she's like offended and stuff. And she's like, well, you look a lot different too. You have this line in the middle of your eyes. It's like a scar. And he's like offended by that. But it's like very like cute, cute cute stuff. And then they talk about religion for a little bit. Yeah. I I don't remember what they said. So this is all you. Neither of them are still religious from what I understand, from what I got from it. But he seems like potentially open to just some form of spirituality uh-huh. and he had gone to a, a church i think it was a i don't know if it was a catholic church or it was a it was like a monastery i think he said but i don't know for like what that. religion and it sounded like he was just curious which is kind of wild and 
he was just talking about how how nice everybody was and how easy that everyone was to laugh and it was just not what he was yeah. expecting he you know he seems like a curious mind and just to find that out is like huh that's interesting and then he talks about buddhism for a little bit and she's like well are you buddhist and he's like no yeah He's just curious, quoting things, although he doesn't believe in them. I just think that's all interesting. Yeah. And she's kind of like calling him out on like that kind of stuff. Like, well, it's like you're holding to that belief, but you're not. You're oh, not I didn't get the impression that she was no, calling not, him out. No, no, not in a bad way. I think she just okay. thought that that was interesting. Yeah. And then I can't remember what happens after that in the coffee shop. Well, th- there's a great thing that I relate to exactly uh, where... He says, you know, I used to play in this band after you and I got together. Oh, yeah. And it was, we, we were actually pretty good. And the, the, the main, the, 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 the band leader kept saying, like, we got to get a record deal. We got to get a record deal. And that's all he cared about. And here we are. We're not even a band anymore. And I don't think about the record deal. I just think about how fun it was to play that music and play those shows. And, and I wish, you know, like older people could be, could be their younger selves because I could, I would have enjoyed those moments instead of always trying to push above them and get a record deal, which as a musician who is always trying to further their career, I could not have related more to what he was saying because I think about my old band Sion's And I thought we were excellent. I thought we could have, quote, like, made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I look back and I'm like, especially that last tour we did, Nationwide Tour, I don't remember that some of those shows had, you know, five people there. I just remember it being the absolute best tour I've ever been on. And it was just four friends having the time of our lives. Mm-hmm. And it was like the best like month it was just the best yeah and it's like it doesn't matter that we didn't like after that go tour with Coldplay or something like that Well, that goes back to what he said at the beginning happiness is in the doing absolutely so he just says the same thing again so carpe diem folks carpe diem um he really got a lot out of dead poet society he really did (laughs) i know i think about that like it's like his character took that to heart um spiritualism monasteries so then they go to this garden and they're walking around this garden and uh pretty that's gorgeous yeah and celine says that she doesn't remember them having sex yeah and he's kind of like what are you talking about about? like that was you don't remember the park the wine and she's like oh no i don't know i i wouldn't have because i i don't well, uh, like, she's like, I, I, you know, I, I'm very safe about that stuff. Like, I would never do it without a condom. And he's like, I remember the brand <laughs> yeah, that we used. Yeah. Like, and eventually she's like, No, you, you must be right. Yeah, you must be right. And I, so, I remember now. I remember. Yeah, and so he's kind of like, you can tell he. This is the first time where he's like, uh, the glass shattered a little bit. Like, what's going on? Yeah, this is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, she doesn't want to remember that stuff. I know. And then, um. I, I love they say this. It's this whole time traveler idea that yeah. that we was discussed in the previous movie. But he, they they basically say if if we keep hanging out today and keep talking about stuff as as long as we can, the memory of our night is never finished. Yeah, and and we can we're basically time traveling again to like figure out what could have been Shoot. right now. 
Shoot. Well, they're about to figure a lot out. Yeah. So I, I was it in that time too, with the, when them talking about arguing if they had sex or not, I can't remember if it was specifically that, but she also kind of a little bit hints at relationships that she's been in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, pretty much since then, it's all not really worked out. Um, oh yeah. I think she mentions like French men are just not for a back of lack of a better term, horny, like American men are. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he like jokes about it. And this he is, says like, in that regard, I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> yeah. And I think it might be around that time, but like, he, this is the first, like, uh, he, they've touched arms the whole time, but this is like the first, like, I would say, um, intimacy, intimacy that they had like where f- he like physical intimacy pulls her onto a bench with him to sit on his lap. And she's like laughing, like, no, 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 no. Like, like, cause he's yeah. like, let's do it right now. Let's write right well, now. Well, cause they, they, they talk about what they would do if the world was going to end in That's what it is. like an hour. Yeah. And he's and like, well, I would, uh, we would make love right now. Right now. And so, but she's like, no, no, no. The world's not ending. The world's not ending. It's fine. Everything's fine. And they see that he puts his arm on the back of the bench. And you and can, she, you can just kind tell of like, that she's holding something back holding and you just don't know so what it is. Much back. And is it soon after this, they talk, she's like, I saw that you're married and you have a kid. Yeah. And that's the whole time for me, you're seeing he has a wedding ring on. So it's like, okay, he's married. And it's like, oh my gosh, please talk about this already. Please. Obviously, neither of them want to talk about this. Yeah. But I need them to talk about this. So she saw like in his bio that he's married with a child. Yeah. So she asked him about it. And he's like, yeah, I have a son. He's four, Hank. And I got a wife. Henry. Oh, I thought it was Henry. Well, Hank is the nickname for Henry. Um, so wait, which one did you think it was? Hank. Oh yeah, no. Okay, you you like said the reverse when you re- Hank explained it. It is the nickname for Henry. But his the kid's name is Henry. Okay, then he must have said Hank at some point. Maybe he did. I don't remember that. But whatever. That's not important. What's important is he's talking about his wife a little bit. I hope this isn't a scarecrow dark night situation where I'm just totally wrong and I'm so sure that it's Hank. Well, there will be. Another I mean, Henry. <laughs> I'd like to interrupt this regularly scheduled program to let you know once again that Micah was wrong about the son's name being Henry. Uh, maybe it's a little understandable that he thought it was Henry. He said Hank wrong. Yeah, I think he doesn't talk too much about his wife yet at that point. But Yeah, he, and she says that she's with this guy. He's a photojournalist. He's away a lot, which is nice because, you know, I, I like being alone. Um, I, I like missing him and when he's back, it's always so exciting. So like, it really doesn't bother me our situation and feels like they're both holding back a lot in oh, these conversations. I know, but it's, it, so she's talking to him a little bit like in, in his job, you know, he can get really like, um, fixated on things and kind of forgetting that the person is there. And it's like, do you think maybe that you're talking about how he forgets you're there? Uh huh. Cause I think you're just saying that right now, Uh huh. which is revealing a lot about your relationship potentially yeah and uh so they talk about that there is that great scene where he he's talking about like carpe diem and he like hits his hand and he goes he goes this is it this is happening and he's talking about i just like that and he's like i'm the king of the world (laughs) (laughs) so then they get on a boat and pretty much throughout the movie she's like oh don't you need your plane you're gonna miss your plane like we need to get there and he's always just like there's so much time. They got me there two hours early. Yeah. Like I, I have so much time. So when they get to the boat, she's like, you really, really don't have time for this. And he's like, trust me, we'll get on the boat 10 minutes down. I'll, I'll call, call the, the guy. Driver. It'll be fine. It'll be great. So they get on this boat. There's this crazy story, which we need to look up. Let's look it up right now. Pause. Oh, 
So he gets on the boat and they talk about this story and I'm going to tell you this story because it's I didn't know supremely about fascinating. Um, Cho, this happened in World War II, Choltitz, I think, uh, who took command of the French capital on August 8th, 1994. No. What? No. Nope. Okay, let's just say this. In World War II, uh, the German soldiers were ordered to put uh, to to be able to prepare bombs to blow up monuments in Paris, that one being Notre Dame, the other being the Eiffel Tower, and upon command, they were to, supposed to blow up these monuments and the, these churches and stuff. And the person in charge of this to do it defied orders and would not do it. Yeah. So when the French were able to come back, like French soldiers, they saw all of these bombs around. And saw that they had never gone off when they were supposed to. Because the, the person was looking at, well, how he says it in the movie is the the German soldier was looking up at Notre Dame and just couldn't imagine how, how he could ever blow it up. It was so beautiful. So it never yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, okay, I found a different article while you were talking. Okay. Um, Choltitz, uh, he was overseeing in Paris... And he admitted he was hesitant to pull the trigger, disturbed by the idea of burning down such a beautiful part of the city. Ultimately, a ceasefire was established, though it remains unclear whether von Choltitz defied Hitler out of heroic love for Paris, uh, which he later claimed in his memoir, um, was manipulated by someone or merely felt compelled to surrender out of desperation. Let's go with what he claimed in his memoir, because that's much more romantic. That's very crazy. Um, Although I don't know how much... uh, what credit we should give to a Nazi, but uh, the beauty of the building is where the credit really goes. Yeah. Um, just a crazy story that I can't believe I've never heard of. Um, so on the boat, I, this is what I remember the most. So I'll talk yeah. about this. Uh, that's when he talks more about his wife. Uh, and he says she, I think she might've asked how they got together. And he says, Oh, she was like kind of an on and again, off again, girlfriend. And I got her pregnant. Yep. So, we decided that we probably should get married. Yeah. And it sounds, he is so passionless as he's talking about, he clearly doesn't want to talk about his wife so much. And he, he says that it's like, I just came to realize like, yes, there's, you know, what is love? It's all these romantic ideas. Well, I realized, you know, at a certain point there's just a responsibility. So Uh I had that responsibility and that's what marriage and love meant to me and that's what i thought it was which is crazy because in the last movie he talks about love a lot about what he thinks it is and what it's not and what's even crazier is in the last movie he talks about how his parents stayed together in a loveless marriage yeah so that for the for the betterment of their children obviously it didn't like better their children in the way that they probably were hoping it would Mm -hmm. one because in the first movie he seemed a little unhappy and like he had a lot to work through because of that and then in this movie he is essentially making the same i would guess he would call it a mistake yep that his parents made which is just wild yeah and um in this this is when he tells her why he wrote the book because i did mention the, it. on the boat yeah and then this is when he also talks about on the wedding he thought he saw her and he says i thought i saw you with an umbrella because when i was headed to the weddings i, I didn't want to get married or maybe this is when they're in the car this is when they're in the car yeah, so they get in the car at this point. They have all that. So so the driver shows up, and he's like, wait, 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 we can take you home. 
Again, yeah. you don't have time. He's like, screw it. I don't care. We have plenty of time. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Take her home. <laughs> uh, so they're taking her home. And this is the wildest part of the movie for me, emotionally. Yeah. Um, they're in the car, very intimate. And it's, just, I don't know. It's, it's almost like you wouldn't think this to be the, the like climax of the movie mm-hmm. because they're just in a car. Yeah. Like they're just in a van. It's not even like a cool car. And <laughs> yeah. so far it's been like a love letter to Paris yeah. kind of thing. So she's talking a lot about, I guess, her relationships that she's had. I mean, it's a lot, people. You just need to watch the movie because she says it in ways that's not like quotable because it's so real feeling. Well, she so she basically says, I would get with these guys <laughs> and then they would break up with me and, and then they'd get married. And yeah. she goes... I just wish they could have said that, asked me to marry them. I would have said no, but at least they would have asked. Yeah. So that's where she's coming from. And then she's also talking about how in every relationship, she is just feeling more and more closed off as if it's just like, well, eventually she says she is completely numb to love, completely numb to, to relationships because it sounds like, you know, she doesn't want to try anymore. She's, it's been so many times to her that like, it's not even worth it. And then she like rambles on into talking about how like it's really because of that one night they shared together that she has pretty much since then not cared to try Mm -hmm. with anybody and she's you know getting go ahead go ahead yeah and 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 then he says well you know my marriage isn't all peaches and roses either you know i've what does he say like i i've had sex four times in the last five years or so you know some insane number and he's like uh you know, this is like, it's loveless. Um, we, the, we've done marriage counseling. I've done the candles. I've done the, yeah. the roses. I've done everything. I can't love my, my wife like she needs me to love her. Like he's admitting he can't figure out his marriage anymore. And it really seems like he's really tried. This is like so hard for me in movies because I, I, I often, I would say like 90% of the time, never sympathize with uh-huh. a, with a, well, that sounds really mean. It's hard for me to sympathize with someone who's just going to cheat. Yep. Because a lot of the times in a movie, it's not it's not shown well. Like, it just seems like people are giving up or they're fudging it to to make it okay, making excuses. Yeah. And sometimes in, in movies, I think you're not supposed to sympathize with the person who's cheating often. Um, a lot of times it's not written well. Because I, I, this yeah. is like the rare movie where I'm rooting for them to cheat. I almost... I don't. I can't think of a, a single other movie where I want that to happen. It's. It's. Yeah. I've never felt like in that kind of way. It's, in a movie. it's wrong. We can all agree it's wrong. Yeah. Um. But and it's, he's even said, you know, like they're they're crafting very multi-dimensional people. These uh-huh. feel like friends, you know. And when your friends make mistakes or make strange decisions or something, it's not like you throw them out. You try to understand why. And sometimes, even if they do something you disagree with, you're like, but I do understand why. Yeah. And the outcome has actually been good, you know? Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It's, it's, and it's also like everything, it's so different for everyone. Yeah. It's not, it's not black and white and it's very complicated. And I think for a fictional movie, they do the best they can to make it co- very complicated. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's crazy because even in that, when he's talking about himself, like he is saying, like he will, he's talking about his loveless marriage, but what's keeping him there is he will do anything to get a few minutes of his with his son like his yeah. love for his son is much more than the love that he has lost with his wife yep and that is so sad to me 
mm-hmm. to that that like that that whole situation is just so sad. And as he's rambling on, he's also getting emotional, and I could not believe it. He's trying to bear his soul to her, and she reaches out to touch him and uh-huh. takes her hand back really fast. Because yeah. she's not sure. She wants to comfort him, but she wants to comfort him like his lover, not as his friend. Yeah. And I think that's why she pulls it back because she's not sure what, what she should do. Mm-hmm. And it's so broke my heart again. <laughs> now, before we stink and move on, he talks about how on his way to his wedding, he yeah. thought he saw her. Yeah. And she. It was on 11th and Broadway. Yeah. And she goes, I lived on 13th and Broadway. Yeah. And she like knew the deli he was talking about where he thought he saw her. So he probably did see her because he, he was like waiting till the last moment, hoping that she would barge into their wedding ceremony. I know he or was something. saying that months before months leading up to their wedding, all he could do was think about her. Think about like what if all of those things, like if he like he just said, if he had seen her, he would have stopped everything. Yeah. That's how crazy he was. And then and then I think <laughs> it's around that time she kind of counters with like she starts talking more again about how mad she is about her life and her situation and how she's just depressed. Even well, cause she says, she says I was okay until I read your book. That's what I was going to say. I was okay until I read your book. And then I saw that you were married and have a kid. So F you for getting married. Yeah. Even though I didn't show up that day, at least I didn't get married is pretty okay, much what, put your finger down. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> and then that's when she tells the driver, like, stop the car. I'm getting out. Yeah. I'm getting out. And he's like, no, no, Celine, Celine, come on. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so it's all just going to this fever head and fever head, whatever. No one's ever said that before. Um, and then she even says, of course I remember having sex. We had sex twice. Yeah. She says. Yeah. Um, and, and then he talks about how he has this dream where, um, oh he's gosh. about has, to get, she on, has two dreams where, he, yeah, where he's about to get on a train and she's on the train and it just keeps passing by and by and by. And yeah. then he has another one where he wakes up and she's pregnant and um he says like can I touch you or something like that and she says no. And but he does it anyway. He touches, touches her, her ankle, ankle and it's like softer than anything he's ever touched before. And he wakes up sobbing and and he's like he's like I wake up sobbing and my wife is just looking at me like what is wrong with you? And he can't tell her. Yeah. And then they pull up to her apartment. And they get out, and she's like, "Okay, well, I guess this is gonna be goodbye." And he goes, "He goes, let me. Can you can you play me a song?" No, no, no. He says, "Walk me to your door. Walk me to your door. I'll I'll walk walk you to to your your door." door. And we go. She's got a really cool cat, Mm -hmm. and and it feels like there's a switch for her. Like she understands what is gonna happen Mm -hmm. here. Well, it's crazy too because she gets out of the car and she's like, "I want to try to do something." She hugs him because earlier he said, "I feel like if anyone touches me, I'm just gonna float away like a million molecules." So in this moment, she's like, "I want to try something." She hugs him. He doesn't float away in a million molecules. Very sweet. Yeah. Um, And she's like, "You're still here. You're good." And so like they embrace. Not kissing wise, yep. but they embrace, and that's when he's like, "I can at least walk you to your door." Yeah, and and when she picks up her cat, she her demeanor changes back to like like a friend, mm-hmm. like like she went through all this crazy emotion, but it's like she knows that their relationship is going to continue after this moment because she's like, "Oh, look at my cat," and it's like mm-hmm. things are kind of fun again all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and he and he sees the courtyard. And then they go up the stairs 
to their well, to her apartment. So they get to her where her door, like the stairs are. And he says, then he says, can you play me a song? Yeah. But she, you know, she keeps saying like, you are going to miss your flight. And he's like, I don't care if I'm going to be a little bit late. Yeah. I, I will have plenty of time. Yeah. Well, please play me a song. She concedes. And then they walk up the stairs and it's wild. So it's one shot. Uh-huh. They go up several flights of stairs and it's a, it's a spiral staircase and the camera follows them. And it, the camera is like Spinning. in the, 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 what is that middle park the stairwell, I guess. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and, um, and it's following them. And I, I, it sounds like they had like some sort of pole rope, system with with three people manning it to make that shot happen oh, that sounds so hard yeah i just figured it was like a machine but this is 2004 yeah. and a low budget oh. so the scene the scene is like the the scene in the last movie when they're in the booth listening to the song and they yes. keep looking at each other and it's very sweet and very like ooh, new love it was that recreated. It, it was that but to yeah. me when they're yeah. walking up the yeah. stairs they they know what they are going to do uh-huh and there is not, there's no turning back at this point. Uh-huh. And they're walking up, and the acting is insane. Oh, I can't and believe they it. Remember, they've been nonstop talking for an hour and ten minutes by now. Yeah, they don't talk the yeah. whole time walking up the stairs. Yeah, and they walk into the apartment, and she says, which I found very interesting. She goes, "Would you like some tea?" She's been all worried about his flight, and then she asks if he wants some tea. He's got no time for tea. But she's asking. Yeah, and he goes, "Yeah, I'll have some tea." Yeah, and she's. I love that he sits on her couch like he's just making himself at home. Like the way he sits is just very relaxed. Like, well, actually, sure. that is. He is able to relax finally. Yeah, probably for years. Probably for nine years. <laughs> yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah. And um, you know, he asks if she'll play the song, and she's like, "No." And he's like, "I am. I've come here. It's been nine years. You're playing me a song." So then she um plays this song about a waltz mm. um and it's clearly about him and she plops his name into it and they make a joke about that yeah and it's also a studio apartment so mm. the bed is right there mm. which i think is is a key part of the design and mm. you know what we talked about this in dark knight rises there's that thing in movies that you pointed out to me where they always are like I live in squalor, and then you go to their house or something, and it's three times bigger than our house, and it's like you... Filled with nicer things. Yeah, and this feels like, from what she describes she does in the movie, I think she can afford this place. I agree. And I was like, wow. Thank you. The production designer of this movie, kudos, because this looks like a real person's place where they live, who is living in an expensive city to live in, and it's a small studio apartment. But it still looks really, but it looks nice, really nice, and like, yeah, it just looks nice. Yeah, it's but not great. out of her price range. Nice. No. So that's just our pet peeve that we're gonna be keep listening to our podcast, and we will bring it up yeah. so much. Um, and so then she gets him the tea. He well, while she's doing the tea, they talk a little more about stuff, and he puts a Nina Simone album in her stereo. And oh, she, yeah. They start talking about Nina Simone. Um, and she says, like, she's seen her twice. And she talks about what it was like to see Nina Simone. Yeah. And her, like, impersonation is so... Julie Delpy. Big fan. Yeah. Just so good. And it just... It feels like... She's the French Kang Ho song, I think. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, her... 
eventually like at this point with her impersonating you know she's in her home she's in her most comfortable place and she's doing this kind of goofy thing in front of him she just played a song in front of him and it's just very i it's like words can hardly describe this feeling or this well, moment this is the magic of of link later and yeah. these movies in particular where even so these movies are capturing moments but even with the actors they are capturing like moments that I don't know if these actors could ever do it with another director. It's or, hard, yeah. It is it is such a lightning in a bottle like the movie itself, the story itself, and then the actual creativity involved is like I've never seen anything like this before. No. It is no. just like a true when I finish both of these movies, I just think like that's a damn movie. Yeah. Like you don't see that every day. No. This is so good. I know. So she's doing her goofy stuff, and she says in her Nina Simone imp- impression, you're going to miss your flight, baby. And he Ooh, says, I know. You're going to miss your flight, baby. Fade to black. I know. Fade to black. Directed by Richard Linklater. Oh, my gosh. It's a miracle of a movie. Yeah. I love it so much. I mean, it is... It is well, I mean, I would go so far as to say it's one of the great American movies. And I saw, so I was looking. Why do you say American? Because he's an American director? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, just because, you know, I, I, he's not, he is not a director that, and so I, I was watching an interview thing where he was breaking down his career and I was looking through some of the YouTube comments and someone said, it is crazy to me. Like, his name should be in the same conversation with Scorsese, Tarantino, Mm -hmm. Wes Anderson, like, uh, Christopher Nolan. Like, this guy is one of the great American filmmakers, and more people need to be talking about him more often. And doing this deep dive on him, I am like, this guy is one of my favorite directors. Like, he is so stinking good. Yeah. And even if it's just the movies that I've... If I were to watch the rest of his movies and they were to be total trash... If these three... And then you put it's, School of Rock up there? Really? Well, nuts. Put Boyhood in there? Yeah. Put Bernie in there? Yeah. Put uh I almost said School Put School of Rock in there twice cuz that's a great movie. Dazed and Confused. The guy and even if the rest of his movies are flops, that those movies get him to these movies. Mm-hmm. It's he is a miracle filmmaker. Also, he he just has a vibe. Does he? That I I've really like, talk. like his interviews and stuff. He is not a holier than now. He's not like Nolan where well, he can't be you have them. to watch his movies a certain way. I know it's always possible, but for me, it really is like you can't be all high and mighty if you're making these kinds of movies where it's about no. because because as we kind of talked about, with you'd be Nolan, out of touch with everyone. That's what I'm saying with with Dark Knight Rises. We were kind of joking about how you know it kind of feels like Christopher Nolan's out of touch with society or he's never quite understood the common man. Yeah, yeah, in our Dark Knight Rises with B.O. Yeah, and boys. it's like, I mean, that's probably not far off. We love him. And, and with this, with Linklater, it's like, he really, you know, I don't know anything about him, but seeing his movies, I wonder if he had a a kind of typical upbringing, American upbringing. He, was, he grew up in Texas, too. Like, I feel like that's even more of a chance that he had, like, kind of a typical American upbringing, therefore feeling all of these things at the certain times of age that mm-hmm. you do and he can articulate it better than most people can well and what else is this guy he he's just amazing he he's like in austin texas that's like he was born in texas he moves to austin he's like i like it here 
and I want to make movies. At a certain point, he decides, I want to make movies. And he's like, well, you can either move to L.A. or New York. And he says, I'm just going to do it here. Yeah. I'm just going to build it here. It's like, a, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think people should start talking about him as one of the great directors. I really do. And um, he's he's it's amazing. And this movie is better than Before Sunset. Yeah. I mean, so, Sunrise. It's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead. You're about I to just had something. to look up the Wes Anderson thing. Oh, what is it? Grew up in Houston, attended University of Texas in Austin. So they've crossed paths. They have to, right? But they are very different, and uh, yeah, that doesn't really matter. Well, but I mean, I mean, even them, uh, like, I feel like maybe that would be. Scorsese and Spielberg are so different, and they did it all together. Well, what I mean is, like, if they did grow go, go up together, I would feel like maybe Wes would have been in that documentary that I watched, or they would talk about each other, but they don't yeah. ever. Well, okay, fine. They hate each other's guts. <laughs> um, Ethan Hawke was also born in Austin. Ah, cool. Um, so Jordan. What do you think is going to happen in Before Midnight? If they're not together in this last movie, and if it's not about them navigating their marriage, uh-huh. not even marriage, just a long-term, like even if it's a long-term relationship, hopefully it's marriage, uh, and having children or not, if it's not about that, I send it back. Really? No, but I will be kind of devastated. Uh-huh. But I know that the it'll all be explained and yeah. it'll all be very understandable. But I I don't know because because it is very real and it, I as I'm not always the kind of person where they have to end up together. We talked about that in the last mm-hmm. movie. But the, I have gone through so many emotions, and we're watching these so close I together. Know. <laughs> they gotta be together, please. Okay. okay. Um, but I think what they do a really good job of in both movies is how like. I think they even mentioned in one of the movies, you know, like your soulmate, you're the love of your life, the one person that you're meant to be with. Like, it's not very realistic. Like no one should be going out their day to day looking for their soulmate. Mm-hmm. Like it has to happen. If yeah. that makes sense. So I'm just curious if what, what with them discussing that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. how that gets wrapped into this movie. I know, but you don't need her, need her, need her. Well, I think we did it. Yeah. And you know what else you can do, listener, is you can go to patreon.com slash M-I-C-A-H-M-C-C-A-W and you can totally switch up the vibe and you can listen to us talk about the 1966 Batman Adam West movie, which rules so much and is one of the great Batman movies. Okay? It good. It's really good. Um, so if you're going, I couldn't believe that download the episode for $3 and, and, and prove us wrong. And next week we're doing before midnight. And then after that, we will after be after that. It's back to reality. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to the DCEU. We're digging in the pool. We're only doing the official DCEU releases just so that, you know, listener, so For my sanity and mine, because now they're trying to say that all DC e, DC movies exist like a comic book where it's a multiverse kind of a thing so that any director can do anything they want with any of the characters. They would never have said that if this series was half as half successful. That's true. Um, and if one, yeah, 
we're going to talk all yeah, about that. Don't get me started on someone who hasn't seen a lot of the movies. Yeah. I yeah. just got a lot of opinions. But you know what? It's all going to be worth it when we get to watch Shazam because that movie is so good. But we get to stay in paradise for a little bit longer, even if it's maybe too close to close for comfort because next week it's before midnight. And Jordan, I love you very much. I love you too, Micah. And we love you guys too. It mm-hmm. is a different kind of love though. Is that okay to say, Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, see you next week.